everybody, and welcome to the show. You know, if I asked you probably uh, your devotional life of how quiet time is with God, I think sometimes uh, Christians say it's difficult, it's hard, maybe there's more of like, a, it feels like a chore, uh, that it's something I have to do, something I should do, maybe not something that we're excited about doing. And so I want to try to help with that. Uh, and so my guest, Sean Arviso, he has written this series, really, in his presence. Uh, this version of the series. He has first one on the Epistle of James, now on the Challenge Through Genesis. And the goal of today's show is really to, to talk through how to have a productive, good devotional time, how to spend quality time, how to learn how to read scripture better, uh, that then hopefully should drive our excitement to, to be in God's word and to really grow closer as we spend time in the presence of God. And so that is the goal of the conversation today. My name is Ryan Polly, challenging you to think deeper about Christianity and hopefully now giving you some practical tips to move forward. Now, I am using brand new interview software for the very first time. And so I'm really hoping this all works. If there are technical difficulties, I'm so sorry. We'll try to figure it out. I'll try to figure it out. Uh, but this ho new software hopefully is going to function well. It's not going to create too many problems for us today and hopefully doesn't distract from our conversation either. So Sean, Joining me is Sean Arviso. He is an associate pastor at Calvary Chapel, El Centro. He's written the book that you see there in the corner up there, Challenged Through the Book of Genesis, also the Epistle of James, also written Fact or Fiction, looking at the, uh, the reliability of Scripture and the argument for the resurrection. Sean, thanks for joining me. How are you, Ryan, and everyone else? Doing wonderful, man. It's so good to see you again. Sean and I, we met... That's <laughs> quite Very the story. randomly, Tim Barnett, Tim, if you're watching, what's up? But Tim Barnett got really sick, like as he's supposed to fly from Canada down to El Centro, California to join you for your Imperial Valley Apologetics Conference that you're hosting. And Our very first one. Yeah, the very first one. And I think it was an all day Saturday event. I got a phone call. Thursday night, I think, maybe even Friday morning. Uh, I'm sick. I can't get on the plane. Can you cover? And um, I ended up being able to join that weekend, drove all the way down, had a wonderful time with you guys, your church, uh, and fill in for Tim. And so it was kind of a freak accident that we got involved. And then, you know, from that, a lot of other things have happened. So like if, for example, right, this show is also broadcast on 100.1 KGBA. If you're listening there, if you're on YouTube, hey, no, it's also a radio program. But that is a Christian channel there in El, the El Centro area run by you guys and some people from your church uh, that mm -hmm. I was able to meet at the conference. And so have that opportunity as well. So uh, it's great to now have you on and be able to kind of discuss some of the work that you're doing. So Sean, thanks for joining me. <laughs> Absolutely. And to uh, Tim's misfortune, lots of blessings came out of that event and uh, all of us getting connect with you. And now you've been such a blessing to a lot of us in the Valley. And so and it's great to see you've been a part of Maven since then and, and a Stand to Reason uh, affiliate. And so, man, you are rocking and rolling. And I'm really proud of the work that you're doing. I appreciate it. Yeah. And it's, you know, the, you guys were not left without the blessing of Tim Barnett. He did end up making it down there, I think, in the next one and two years, possibly, mm -hmm. uh, to join you yep. for that conference. Um, so, you know, our goal today is you've written the series, In His Presence. And so really wanting to look at kind of understanding a better devotional life of, of kind of why you've created this, how you've laid it out, how you want to kind of work people through the study of Scripture. And so maybe just starting off, like as a pastor, I know you're also an apologist, uh, starting this conference as well as leading people at a church. You know, why did you see this maybe as something necessary to write? 
Great question. And in the big picture of the writing part of ministry, you know, I think that we should all be asking God, what do you want to do with my life? And not just in the big picture, but in specific seasons of our lives as well. And one of the things that he was really pressing upon my heart a couple of years ago was to really pursue leaving a legacy that when long after I'm gone, that God will still be using things that he worked in and through my life to just continue to minister to people. And so part of that is him leading me to uh, just serve people through writing. And so the different works that uh, he's led me to do is being put out in paperback, ebook, and audiobooks. Um, I am personally a big fan of audio. I listen to a lot of podcasts on the go, and so I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast, uh, going from the Coffee House questions to Ryan Pauly. Um, and so that's kind of the big picture of where the writing started to come from. And in fact, fun fact, the very first book in the series, which you had uh, mentioned, was on James. Well, I first started clicking away at that book. The first words were starting to go down into the computer in the hospital when our firstborn James was about to be born. So we got there a couple of days early and I thought, well, I have some time on my hands. I want to make good use of it while we're waiting. And so uh, that's kind of how that came about. And my firstborn, his name is James, which is why we kind of settled on the first book in the series to be on the epistle of James. Okay. And, um, we're kind of going to talk a little bit about the layout of the book as well as what I want to work through is really kind of focus in on day one uh, because it really kind of gives, I think, some practical tips to study well. Um, I guess maybe just kind of, again, some kind of preliminary questions on this topic and why creating devotionals. Uh, first of all, uh, this is, as you have it named here, a thoughtful, provoking, and practical devotional commentary. So kind of maybe some different styles of devotions, devotionals that people might go to and why you've chosen a devotional commentary what what would that be maybe to start a devotional commentary absolutely and so in in the spaces that you and i are part of you know the christian realm and there's a lot of books and resources that are out there which is fantastic and i've noticed that a lot of devotionals you know jump straight typically to the application or more heartfelt aspect of scripture or whatever topic it might be going through and then a commentary is on the other side of that where it's usually much more academic it's usually a lot of Uh, study and interpretation and maybe even textual criticism and there's not usually a whole lot of application within commentaries and so one of the things that was wanting to do is sort of bridge that gap in hopefully a real user-friendly type of way which is why in the description it is a devotional commentary hopefully it has some of the straightforward teaching of a commentary uh, with some apologetic nuances especially because it's on the book of genesis while also giving that really really practical specific side of a devotional that at the end of each day's reading, it gives the people a very specific way to apply what they're going through. And so it's not just uh, read your Bible and pray more, but it's uh, get involved with what's going on with regard to sexual harassment or orphans and widows or uh, foreign missions, um, you know, so some different things like that. Now, that's really good. And, and I think that's uh, one thing I really stress with my students. And as I kind of teach them about how to read the Bible well and kind of how to take this approach is this idea of, of interpretation precedes application. Uh, that we sometimes approach in Bible studies, like, hey, what does this text mean to me? And, and we kind of try to figure out how does this apply to my life without first understanding what it is. Uh, but then sometimes I think we can be stuck in this area of like, understanding deep theology, but then never actually taking that and and applying it to it, you know? So I think we we often hear this idea of like taking it from the head to the heart or however, you know, people want to explain it. Uh, But I, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it sometimes can be difficult of truly living out 
what Jesus teaches us to do. Uh, we know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but how well am I doing that? And mm. so kind of how would you maybe encourage those who are kind of going through this process of, of, of first understanding the importance of the text, what the text means, and then actually taking those practical action steps? Absolutely. And so before we get into sort of the strategies and tactics of unpacking the message within God's word, asking the question why uh, even doing this is very, very important to go through. And so I think we're all familiar with what Jesus quotes in Deuteronomy about how a man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so I hear people often say, well, I'm just not a person who studies or I have a hard time focusing or those kinds of things. And I say, well, you know, I understand and God understands all that as well. But uh, people have a real easy time focusing on Netflix or the latest show or trend <laughs> or the music on the radio, and they can quote every single word of the lyrics. And so we focus and memorize and study the things that interest us. And so I would say at a deeper core below the strategies and tactics, it's a heart issue. Asking God, change what I find entertaining. And so when I first gave my life to the Lord, uh, I enjoyed lots of different types of music and one of the things that I had I remember specifically asking God to change was, God, you know, I'm not a big fan of some Christian music that's out there, <laughs> but I know that what I'm listening to is not totally honoring to you. You know, if Jesus was sitting right next to me, he probably would not be listening to this. And so, God, I need you to really change my heart in this matter. And of course, I asked him to do that in a lot of other areas. And you know what he did? He actually did it. He began to change what my entertainment, you know, what I found entertaining or what I liked and what I wanted to pursue and desire and memorize. And of course, that began to translate how I looked at the Bible, because before Jesus and even in my early days of following him, uh, you know, reading the Bible every day and trying to memorize scripture and deepening and studying and all this was just not at the top of my list. I knew it was important, but I didn't I wasn't moved emotionally. I wasn't moved in my uh spirit to really do that. And so I, again, asking God, please change my heart the way that I look at your word. Please change the way that I look at who you are and just all those things. And so that's the why we need to study the word, not because we just want to at times, but because your soul literally depends upon it. And that might sound a little heavy to some of you, but that's really an understatement when you understand that you are a spirit with a body, not a body with a spirit. This body is on loan. It is being rented out to you by the Lord but your spirit is eternal. And so by not reading the word, you are spiritually killing yourself. And I want to use uh, that type of seemingly hyperbolic language, but it's all reality. It is all factual that we need to be nourishing our soul. So how do we go about well, maybe oh, before the how, I just, the, the why <laughs> I think is so important. And you bring that up and there's just so many things come to mind is, like one of the things I constantly try to challenge people with is this understanding that we care a lot more about our body than we do our soul, mm -hmm. that we will count calories and we count our sugars and we count our exercise and we make sure that the restaurant we're about to go eat at has a good health rating. And we're constantly checking to make sure that what we're putting into our bodies is healthy and is good and is going to you know help us. And we exercise to stay in shape and all this kind of stuff. And that's not mm -hmm. bad. But the question is, do we take that same effort in understanding what is impacting and influencing our souls? Where scripture says, you know, the, the soul is eternal, the body will pass away and we get a glorified, resurrected body, but the soul is eternal. Mm -hmm. and, and are we really recognizing the, the fact that the soul is more important of what we are doing to shape our soul, of what is coming into us that is shaping and affecting us? Have we, as I challenge my students just today, how deeply have you thought about how culture is affecting you? About mm -hmm. how you're 
your thoughts are shaped by things that you're not even aware of, the movies that you watch and these sort of things. And so that why is so important. Now, secondly, it's also this understanding that I talk about a lot of like students sometimes are very bored. And, and you and you brought this up of uh, that we are bored with uh, with reading scripture. We're bored maybe with Christianity. And it might be the same way that like I go to a museum and I'm bored in about 10 minutes looking at paintings. <laughs> like I don't find art museums yeah. to grab my attention, but I can sit down and easily watch a two hour hockey game. And, and I think and, the, and one of the reasons why is I think it's because I don't understand art. Um, mm -hmm. I get bored really quickly watching soccer. I don't really understand soccer, but you know, in the same way that someone gets bored with hockey, why? Well, I don't know what's going on. Right? Mm -hmm. As you develop a deeper understanding of what's happening, there develops a deeper appreciation for that thing to where you start to see the, the details and things start to pop out where I watch baseball and as a pitcher, I see how a ball moves and I go, what? How did he get the yeah. ball to do that? That's insane. And everyone goes, he, he threw a ball. Like, <laughs> yeah. and so I really believe that sometimes there's a, and why I want to focus on deep theology and apologetics is I, as I, I strongly believe that the deeper understanding and a deeper knowledge of God leads to that joy and excitement to be in his presence and to do this kind of devotion. Totally. And this brings up the topic of theology proper, which for those of you who may not be familiar with that, it's simply who is God. And sometimes in a lot of Christian circles and studies or book clubs or whatever it might be, we talk about all of these ancillary, you know, other side things and not we're missing like the main picture. Who is God? And so looking at questions like, you know, what is his nature, his characteristics, attributes? And I think just going along with what you're saying, that the more we see him and understand him, the more we fall in love with him and we want to do the things that he wants us to do, which at very basic is reading the word and applying yeah. it no, that's so good. And really, I think that's what changes us. And so maybe this is a challenge for those who are watching and listening, that if you uh, find uh, devotions to be boring, to be a drag, to be, just be something you have to do, and like, what is it that maybe needs to change about your depth of understanding of who God is? Because again, if we, I think it's hard because, hey, and it happens for all of us. Like, I'm not, I'm not like the, I know everything here, right? It, it's, there's times where I struggle in, in doing devotions and, and being excited about it. But when you truly recognize what devotions are of reading God's word of spending time with the creator of the universe. How wonderful, how beautiful is that? One of the things to also touch on real briefly, you know, talking about desires and wants, you know, we, we want to watch what we're putting into our body and all that kind of stuff. Um, sometimes people ask the question, well, is it okay for me to read the Bible even when I don't want to, like, does God get displeased when I'm mm -hmm. not taking full enjoyment out of what I am doing? And I would say that the answer is yes. There's a parable that Jesus gives about obedience with regard to there was someone who said joyfully that they were going to do something and then they didn't do it. And someone who reluctantly did something. And yet the master was pleased with the one who actually obeyed. And going back to Old Testament, obedience is better than sacrifice. And so the question is, even though you don't feel like eating broccoli or going to the gym <laughs> or going for a run or a bike ride, um, is it still good for you? And the answer is yes. You may not feel like uh, getting into prayer and blocking out that time to the Lord. You may not feel like reading the word or maybe you're the type of person that you start off in a sentence and you get about a paragraph down. And you're like, wait, I started thinking about macaroni and what happened to yesterday. What did I just read? Yeah, I have to go back and start again. And that's okay. The whole point is that you're doing this. And like anything, you're going to get better at it as long as you just keep sticking to it. 
Absolutely. That's such a good encouragement. Um, so I think, man, many, many people here are, it's like, okay, I kind of get the why, like it's important to be in God's word and maybe even the motivation of like, yeah, I do need to change my attitude of God. Help me actually desire to do this well. Um, so now kind of, I guess, moving into some of the kind of the how to. And so the first is like, how would you suggest kind of, or how have you in, in your book, but, you know, suggest kind of setting up this time of devotions to be a productive uh, time in God's presence. Absolutely. And so uh, as we move into the how and the tactics side of unpacking the message of God's word, I don't want this to be strictly academic. And it's important for us to look at the word of God as truly a living and active and uh, powerful thing that God wants to use in us in our lives, not just a textbook uh, like many other textbooks we might have on the shelf. It's not purely academic. Yeah. This is the most important book in the entire universe. Yeah. <laughs> so we need to do it as such. Well, I think that's important too, because a lot of people see like, and I know this is like in my textbook, for example, like uh, in teaching my students how to read the Bible well, and it's like the Bible's not just a rule book. Like there would be no sense. Like if I get the instruction manual for how to use my new iPhone, like to, if I if I said, hey, you need to sit down and read your instruction manual every morning and meditate <laughs> upon your instruction manual. It's like, there's a point where it's like, look, I get it. I'm done. Uh, and I think a lot of people maybe have that false view. The Bible is like a textbook and it gets boring. It's a dictionary. Why do I need to keep reading this thing? Yeah. It's not that. Like we sometimes need to change our view of what scripture actually is to realize why it's necessary for us to be in it every day rather than I read it, I got it, I'm done. There is definitely the mechanical aspect of it, you know, as you brought up the iPhone and a manual. In the same way for everyone who's driven a car, I'm sure you've gotten a manual in the glove compartment. And the reason it's so thick is because the manufacturer knows how that vehicle is best operated. In the same way, the Bible that we have, you might be thinking, wow, this is really thick. Well, it's because the creator, or quote unquote the manufacturer, knows how your life is best operated. And so whenever we uh, go into circles in our lives, like we can't seem to get over this issue or have breakthrough in this area or why aren't things unfolding the way that I you know, think that they should? Well, it might be because you're not going with the manual and God certainly knows better than we do. And yeah. so that's kind of the hard aspect of that, uh, or I'm sorry, the mechanical aspect of it. And the hard aspect of it is it's been said that the Bible is really a love letter to you from God. And uh, so again, going back to changing the way that we view scripture. But going into the how, okay, how do I actually go about unpacking, you know, all of these 31,000 verses or so within scripture? One of the easiest ways to go about it, and again, it'll take practice, you're not going to get it right the first time, is a method called inductive Bible study methods. You may or may not have heard of it, and it's real simple. It's in three parts, and so number one is observation, number two is interpretation, and number three is application. Mm -hmm. Really simple. With observation, you're simply asking the question, what does the text say? Not what do I think it says? What does my pastor say it says? What does this commentary or YouTuber say it says? Simply, what does the text say? And it's, if you want to really go a step further, I would encourage you to take something to write down on and write with. And you're just recording, you know, who's talking, who are they talking to, where is this taking place at? And now you can go deeper with maybe some of the historical things that are happening, what's going on uh, sociologically, culturally, politically, even economically, governmentally, militarily. How are they viewing all of these things that are being said? And you really want to get into the mind of the writer and the audience. And the reason for that is because we, as 21st century Americans, uh, at least those who are watching in America or 21st century human beings in general, we will not get the message that a first century Jewish 
author was writing to a Jewish audience 2000 years ago. You're just not going to get it. There's a whole nother world 2000 years ago, so to speak, that you need to really get into. And that's all within the observation uh, part of reading the Bible. And so once you've done a really good job, you know, diving deep into that section, then it makes it really easy to go into the second part, which is interpretation. And you're asking the question, what does the text mean? You're not asking, what does the text mean to me? Very big difference. Sometimes people will uh, open up the Bible, they'll sit in a circle, and they'll go around saying, oh, what does this verse mean to you? Very bad way to start off that Bible study. That's a really quick way to get into heresy and all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah, It's not about what does it mean to me. It's about what does God say it means to me? Because, again, he's the authority. We are not the authority. But there have actually been some translations and some people out there who like to just say, oh, what it means to me. Um, I think that you covered the Passion Translation. Is that correct? I did, yeah, with Mike Winger a few months ago. So, yay or nay? I'm a yay. I'm, oh, I almost said a yay. I'm a nay on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I thought so. Yeah. If you said yay, I was about to uh, have some concerns. But nay, right? If I because... said yay, it would, it would bring up some questions. Like, wait, a, for those who watched my interview, I thought that was a pretty strong critique. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, if you want so, all the details, it was an hour 45 with Mike Winger a few months ago. Uh, if you want all the details, you can check that out there. But sorry. So definitely go check out that video about, you know, passion translation. But I bring that up because it is a great example of what not to do. Um, and so when you get to interpretation, you're asking, what does the text mean? And if you've done a good job in observation, it makes it really easy to unpack the interpretation because you're looking at simply what was the author's original intent. And when you've got all the cultural stuff and background they're going for you it makes that much easier which then makes it easy to go into the third step which is application which means what does the text mean to me right now what sins do i forsake what promises do i believe what mandates am i called by god to do and move forward in and all of those different types of things so and i guess a real simple way just to kind of sum all that up is anytime you read the bible just ask three questions what does the text say about me what does the text say about god and what am I supposed to do? That's probably the simplest way to read your Bible, and it'll be a good guideline. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm curious, kind of, you know, in the practical steps here is is that some of these are very simple. Some of these are very straightforward. If we go and we can pretty easily see what was going on at that time, uh, see, you know, if we read the context. That's obviously, I think, the first step that uh, makes it difficult where some people are arriving at wrong conclusions is they're not seeing the full context of what scripture is telling them. And so mm -hmm. they're not reading that first observation. They're not making the full observation. It's a very limited observation. Uh, but mm -hmm. the, the historical, um, I guess, evaluation sometimes is more difficult than others. And mm -hmm. so we can look at something and go, okay, what was happening in the early church? What was happening in ancient Israel? And sometimes it's more, it's more difficult to where then we make that interpretation. And we obviously have Christians that disagree on interpretations. Mm -hmm. uh, we're all looking at the same historical event, the same historical setting, uh, but we're coming to different interpretations on some of these issues. So I'm curious on kind of what your maybe encouragement or thoughts would be of how do we then d distinguish between intelligent, smart Christians, pastors, leaders who are interpreting it differently, both trying to say this is based on an observation from the text. Great question. It is important to note that we are living in the age of the Internet, and especially with the lockdown of COVID, more people have been on the Internet than ever before, which means that there's a lot of opinions and voices out there. Some are good, some are not so good. And it's important to uh, kind of 
wash out all of the bad voices that are out there, specifically with regard to biblical interpretation and study and all that kind of stuff. One of the sources that I always highly recommend is blb.org. It stands for blueletterbible.org. Are you familiar with that, Ryan? I am, yeah. I use it from time to time. And so the reason I recommend this is because BLB stands for blueletterbible.org has a ton of wonderfully vetted, solid, free resources. Um, and so we got a question from Bramble A asking, do you know of any good commentaries that aren't too academic? And so that is being answered right now. And BLB <laughs> Blue Letter Bible has a ton of different commentaries and resources uh, some that are pretty simple and to the point, others that will get much more academic and which is to answer your question, Ryan, about the historical sources and, uh, you know, what are some good sources to, to get that from? And I would say BLB is a great place to start. And if you want to go a step deeper, they have something called BLBI.org, which stands for Blue Letter Bible Institute. They have a lot of free college styled courses on apologetics, theology, Bible study, all that kind of stuff. And it's all completely free. Just make an account, go on there. And it even has a little 10 question quiz at the end of it if you want to, you know, test how much you actually retained in your mind. So I would say that's a pretty good one stop shop. And of course, there's a ton of great resources outside of that, you know, YouTube, podcasts, you know, Ryan's podcasts, and other sources. <laughs> Stand to Reason, Robbie Zacharias, Frank Turk. I mean, the list goes yeah. on and on. There's a lot of great guys out there and women who are doing a lot of wonderful work. Absolutely. So, but BLB is a great place to start, totally free. And uh, that's yeah. what I recommend. Awesome. You know, that's so helpful. And, it, you know, it's so just important that as you then begin to evaluate different commentaries, different uh, interpretations that people are making is that's where we have to then employ our own kind of logic, our own critical thinking, our own evaluation and really think deeply and and see like, OK, does this person make a strong case? And I think, you know, is as you do it more, you become better at it and trying to evaluate like look, they draw this conclusion, but I don't think that's actually in the text. I know they reference this and that, but I think there's a kind of a gap here that maybe was missed. And, and so hopefully you begin to kind of uh, learn to better apply or, or at least evaluate what people are making, trying to see the worldviews, uh, the perspectives that come uh, behind their evaluation, what's kind of driving their interpretation. Now, you mentioned a few things, and this is in day one, uh, again, of your uh, book that you put out, uh, 30 days in his presence challenged through the book of Genesis. Um, but day one is kind of an introduction to Genesis, an introduction to understanding um, how to read the Bible well and, and kind of why Genesis really is important. And I want to get into some of these. But in this section that you just talked about of first observe, uh, then you interpret um, some really important do nots. Uh, the first one there being do not interpret scripture from your own experience. Kind of what, what, how would you kind of explain this a little bit further, maybe the, the problems with interpreting scripture based on our experiences? Going back to, we're not the authority, God is the authority, and so whatever his word says goes. So that's kind of like the front end of it. But also you see that there's a number of promises and things that take place within scripture, and maybe sometimes someone is not experiencing that, so they think, oh, it must not be true. For example, in Philippians chapter 4, talking about, uh, the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, right? Be anxious for nothing. You might be thinking, well, Sean, I'm anxious. 
So that must not be true. <laughs> and they want to then place their experience in themselves as a higher authority than God and his word. And that's a fundamental problem, because if you begin to think that uh, you're a higher source of authority, then you're falling for the very first trick in the book, literally, where Satan said, did God really say? And yeah. yes, God really said. <laughs> and so follow that. Uh, get away, Satan. I'm not going to listen to you. That's so good. And and that's, I think, another way in which so much doubt creeps into the picture. And I talked about this again with my interview with Bobby Conway of like my area of doubt is not believing that God listens to prayer. And I and I always stop and I go, well, why? Why do I have this feeling? Well, my experience is I pray. And there's those crickets. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, did God hear me? And and rather than going to scripture where God clearly says that he listens to us when he prays, that he never leaves us, never, like he's always there with us and he is, you know, all present. Um, I base it on my feeling and I feel like he didn't listen. Therefore, if I allow that to become truth in my life, I feel like God didn't listen. Therefore, he didn't. Rather than clearly seeing where he says, I'm listening. Um, we can't and interpret scripture that way. Totally. And I love that you bring up your personal experience because it's for one, it's important for us to be honest with ourselves and a little bit transparent with wisdom to other people, because we all go through seasons of doubt. And sometimes it's really heavy. I mean, we're really on the rocks with our walk with the Lord. And sometimes, you know, things are strong with us and him, but we're just having a moment or maybe there's a passage or a question or a situation that leads us to doubt a few things. But I want you to just really think about this. You know, if you're watching this, listening to this, and you're in a season of doubt right now, um, I want to open up my heart a little bit to you. And I want to share that I have walked down similar roads of doubt. And something that has always grounded me as an anchor is something in John chapter 6. And this is probably a famous passage to many of you where Jesus has fed thousands of people, done all these miracles, crowds are following him. And then he starts teaching some hard things. And it says in John chapter 6, verse 66, one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, it says that many disciples followed him no more. Huh. And then Jesus turns to his 12 and he says, are you going to leave me also? And I love what Peter's response is. Many times we give Peter a hard time for, you know, jumping the gun. But I love what he says here. And he says, where else can we go? Lord, you alone have the words of eternal life. And I love that because Christianity really is the greatest explanation for reality. The Bible really is the greatest source of authority and reliability in contrast to every other ancient text, uh, both ancient and modern. I mean, there is no greater worldview that holds so much weight than we do. Truth is on our side. Logic is on our side. You have nothing to fear. There are answers, yeah. but there are also doubts, too. And we need to tackle those head on. Because God's not given us a spirit of fear, not only of external circumstances, but also internal circumstances known as doubt and other issues internally. So um, if you leave Jesus, where are you going to go? Yeah. There's no other worldview that better explains yourself, where we've come from, where we're going, reality in general. So something to think about. No, it's so beautiful. And I know, you know, John Lennox has the same response from the story that he tells where he's in his, I think it was during his doctoral program, he's at Cambridge University and a Nobel Prize winning scientist comes up to him and says, do you want a career in the sciences? And he responded, yeah, of course I do. And he says, well, if so, you have to give up your silly belief in God, something to that effect. And his response was, do you have something to offer me that's better than what I already have? <laughs> it's that the same idea. Yeah, it's like, and there is nothing better. Like you, and if you're asking me to give this up, what do you got in replace it, to replace it with? 
and really Jesus is the best. So it's so important to see, <laughs> so important to see Jesus is so good. He is so wonderful, and what He has revealed Himself and how He has revealed Himself to us and what we see from God in Scripture is so valuable. Rather than to trust Him, we know our experiences lead us astray, but God's Word never does. And something that people often forget, mainly Christians, when they're being, uh, you know, attacked with skepticism and questions, is we have to remember that every worldview needs to answer the same questions. Yeah. Every worldview, every text needs to answer the same objections that Christianity is, is facing. And when you begin to compare and contrast arguments and that kind of thing, you realize that every worldview, some crumble a lot faster than others, you know, like Christian science or you know, <laughs> Scientology, something like that. Yeah. And others maybe take a little bit more time to break down, but everything breaks down so quickly. And Christianity has held up as the most attacked worldview, the most attacked book, and yet the most reliable. Yeah. And the same is true when it comes to, for example, like the problem of evil. If we get mad at God for why there's so much suffering and therefore we say, God, you must not exist. Guess what? Your suffering doesn't go away, but you have removed the hope. You have removed the solution, uh, but every worldview has to deal with why they're suffering. The question is, which one actually provides an answer? And the mm -hmm. Christian view of God not being distant and removed from our suffering, but actually entering into suffering and suffering for us to then draw us out and promising, I, I will wipe away every tear and heal diseases and giving us a picture of that in the Gospels of Jesus healing. Uh, my goodness, that's that's the beautiful picture that we have to look forward to. Rejecting God because of suffering, as difficult as it is, it doesn't get rid of that suffering. It doesn't get rid of the death of the loved one. It simply re removes that solution and the hope that we have in it. So. Man, and we so wouldn't good. Or, or the God of the Bible without actually cracking open the book and, Absolutely. and uh, learn who he is and, and his truths for our lives. And so that's why open up the word every single day, whether you want to or not, you feel like it or not, you just got to do it. Just like yep. exercising is healthy, eating right is healthy, sleeping is healthy. You just got to do it whether you like it or not. And you will reap the benefits, I guarantee you. Absolutely. So good. So another thing you talk about then is as you we read through scriptures and we're interpreting it, you say, don't be dogmatic or definitive where scriptures are not. Where the scriptures are silent, you and I must be silent. I, I think I find this, man, as a, you know, someone who produces obviously videos on YouTube and who makes comments, I, I find that sometimes I get attacked by Christians, sometimes harsher than non-Christians where I will say, hey, I could be wrong. Here's my view. I try to say that at least. I try to say I could be wrong on this where, and say, hey, I, I hold to old earth. I hold to, uh, you know, certain aspects of eschatology or whatever it may be. And it's like, no. And there's such a, a slamming of Christians on things that are secondary or tertiary rather than saying, let's focus on mere Christianity and, and let's work together uh, in that. So uh, anything else maybe, I guess, to, to say here on this idea of, of kind of encouragement of not being dogmatic and really focusing on what scripture is clear about? Absolutely. Something that you said uh, much earlier is that Christians have disagreements on certain aspects of interpretation. Hopefully we're all in unity on what's primary and most important, which is yeah. the issues of salvation and, you know, going about all of that. But um, some of these things are, as you said, yes, tertiary, secondary, but the main point to make is it is, yes, important to have these discussions, but it's important for these to be in-house discussions. These are not discussions for non-believers in the world to be a part of, because that will only cast further doubt in their eyes. And wow, you Christians can't even get it together on your own stuff. Why would I want to be a part of that community? Yeah. And so that's not a good evangelism technique. So that's number one, is this is an in-house discussion, a lot of these secondary issues. 
But number two, we need to have a spirit of unity because anything other than that, we are playing right into the trap of Satan by uh, casting division over non-divisive issues. Um, you know, things like eschatology, old earth, young earth. Yes, these are important topics and they need to be discussed and let the best yeah. ideas and arguments win. That's all great, but they are not reasons to have church splits over. And so sometimes we see churches split over less important issues than even that. And that's quite sad. And that's not yeah. the heart. Yeah. So before we move on, kind of uh, what we were just talking about here a moment ago, a question came in about it is, uh, so a deeper study of scripture will help with various doubts. What portions of scripture should I look at more deeply to help with doubts? I love your question because your question is almost exactly the same concept as John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, before he was beheaded under Herod, he was out there proclaiming and uh, making straight the way of the Lord, right? He was kind of the, the primer or the prime to where Jesus would come in. And he was arrested, and now he's suffering, and things are not going very well for him. And he asked the same question. He said, are you the Messiah, or should we look for another? What was he doing? He was having doubts, even though he's this rock star within Scripture. And I love Jesus' response because it wasn't only appropriate for John the Baptist 2,000 years ago. The response is for you as well, for you who asked the question. And Jesus says, look at my works. And his first works, you could say, was fulfilled prophecy in how at his very birth he was fulfilling prophecy, uh, which obviously he had no control over other than the fact that he did because he's God, but not in a hu humanity type of way. But then also looking at his works of miracles and uh, just other things that he was saying and doing. And so if you are having doubts and you want to look at portions of Scripture to kind of help battle those doubts, I would give the same response that Jesus gave, which is to look at his works. And how do you do that? I would encourage you to just read through the Gospels and just take your time just enjoying uh, going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, looking at the works of Jesus, looking at fulfilled prophecy. Yeah, I think that's so good. And I would add on, it's important, too, to understand where the doubt is coming from. Uh, what type of doubt it is. And so, you know, understanding there are moral doubts where, you know, we are walking away and we're having issues because of moral reasons. And so, you know, a common example is, you know, people who work with students, you often hear of them saying, I don't think the Bible is true. I don't think God exists. And really it's coming from a place of, I want to do these morally wrong things and I don't want to be held accountable by God. And so maybe I have these doubts of, did God really say, because I would like to deny it to do something else. Uh, versus mm -hmm. there are intellectual doubts. And so we have, hey, I just intellectually can't understand this. And so then we want to go say, okay, if I'm having a trouble and I'm doubting the existence of God or doubting the truth of Scripture, what are the verses that have to deal with Scripture being the, the Word of God and, and, and the arguments for God's existence and that kind of uh, issue, as well as sometimes it's a volitional doubt. If we just want to go off and do other things, right? And we have these rejections in that sense and trying to understand, okay, where, who are we as, as humans? understanding the, the fall, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment as we kind of apply this and looking at Genesis, of understanding the fall, of what it says about us and what you just mentioned, you know, previously of, you know, did God really say? Um, and and recognizing who we are created to be. And so I really love the question. And, and there's kind of a, I guess, maybe a, a deeper need to say, okay, what kind of doubts are they? Because uh, mm -hmm. there are many different types of doubts that I think need different responses. And do you need people to pray for you because of you know sin and keep you accountable because of struggling sin? Do you need people to come alongside and offer resources? And, and how do we go about handling these different doubts, I think, is so valuable and important. 
Um, so thank you for that question. All right, so jumping through, man, we are moving quickly through our time. Um, <clears throat> you also talk about here, uh, two more kind of points of how to not just uh, interpret Genesis, but also to interpret scripture. And the third one is not to rationalize the scriptures. What do you mean by that? So rationalizing the scriptures is trying to take a hard truth and make it not so harsh. So when Jesus talks about taking up your cross and following him and other passages about forsaking all to follow him and about hating mother and brother and sister, you know, in relation to him, these are all the types of hard truths that the disciples 2000 years ago began to leave him for going back to John chapter six, verse 66. And so sometimes we want to look at these different things and rationalize them and say, well, he didn't really mean that. And uh, if you want to get really fancy, you say, well, the Greek and the Hebrew actually says, and you try to <clears throat> come at it from that angle. And so it's important to take the scriptures for face value, going back to interpretation, and then interpret them the way that the original author uh, intended and the, and the audience understood it as. And so that's what uh, we mean by not rationalizing the scriptures. Good. Um, okay, so then finally, your last step here is to not over-spiritualize the scriptures. How do we sometimes do that? So you see this in people who maybe are just starting off in their walk with the Lord. Um, their, sometimes their devotional life will look something like um, they'll take their Bible and just flip through the pages, you know, eyes up in the air, God speak to me, and then they point down and they just kind of fall on whatever random page and, you know, they're expecting God to speak to them in that way. And so one of the um, examples of over-spiritualizing the text is maybe a lot of what was going on in ancient Israel or the Old Testament as a whole. You're looking at these different narratives and events that are taking place, and you're thinking about spiritualizing it to where somehow that is uh, in relation to you, and it is directly talking to you, and it's all about you, and it's not all about you. You know, there's a very specific context in which God is working through real people in real time in real ways. Uh, we can't over-spiritualize things. And on the flip side of that, going to the New Testament in Revelation, this is probably the most over-spiritualized book, uh, primarily because these are all future events. And so sometimes people have over-spiritualized that to um, maybe what they're going through right now. Like, wow, the uh, Satan, serpent of old, or the beast, or the woman, or the plagues or these different things, man, I'm really feeling like I'm going through that right now. And, you know, they try to take something that is uh, in another time period or another context and they want to apply to themselves. And so those are different examples of people over spiritualizing the scriptures. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, even to add a few more examples that I think in, you know, that I often hear as well as, is, uh, I think Matt Chandler has a famous video where talking about like the story of David and Goliath and it's always, we are David and w mm. Goliath is this struggle in our life. And so God is going to yeah. give us the power to throw our stone, which is our prayers. And those they are going to knock down this, this, you know, and it's, you know, and Matt Chandler goes, you're not David. Like, no, we yeah. can obviously look at that story and we can see how God worked and he is sovereign and he took care of David and protected him. And we can see and God promises to do the same thing with us. But David's a real historical person in a real place and you're not him. Uh, but we can learn. And we and again, like that's the, kind of a, the point of like, what is happening? What does the text actually say? Now, how does this apply? And not necessarily over spiritually. Another one is like Jesus calming the storm in the boat. And often it's like you're in the boat, you're in the boat, the storms are your problems in life. And what are the problems that you need Jesus to calm? And sorry, but like, there's a lot of times we pray for God to calm the storms and he doesn't. 
Mm-hmm. And God allows for pain and suffering in our lives. And, and that's difficult when we're taught, well, you just pray to God and he will calm the storms, all these yeah. metaphorical storms in your life, rather than saying, what is the point of that story of Jesus calming the storm? It's showing that Jesus is God, that yeah. he has power over nature. He can literally tell the water and the waves to stop and they stop. Mm-hmm. Now, is he someone that you should put your trust in because, look, he's got things in control? Absolutely. Not that going necessarily he's going to calm every storm. Totally. And going back to the David and Goliath one, it's uh, not about you. <laughs> it's not about you being David. It's about God being God and doing a miracle in that situation. And so sometimes people will want to look at just what's going on, you know, historically or in the text and think, wow, these, per- these people are heroes and, you know, we should emulate them, you know, dare to be a Daniel. That was a famous phrase for a long time. Yeah. But it's not about these people. Yes, God used them, but he, he used them like we use a tool or an instrument or we put our hands through a glove. You know, when a carpenter does a wonderful job on a table, you don't push the carpenter to the side and go to the table saw and like, wow, great job, table saw. You did such a great job. <laughs> you know, that would be ridiculous. In the same way, the story of Scripture is all about God. Yeah. It is all about giving him glory. We are just the, the actors in his grand play and his grand drama. And what a blessing it is to be that. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we can, you know, we look in Hebrews 11, right? And the great cloud of witnesses uh, that, you know, the people who ran before us and that can be encouragement, but what is an encouragement to do to see God as who he is and and to be used by him? Um, Good. So I I love just a very kind of the practical of what to do. And hopefully maybe the people who are watching and listening have heard all this. They know these things. Um, Maybe you just need a reminder uh, to kind of kind of re-motivate, re-energize to read God's word. I would love to kind of dive in now to kind of your first day and the time that we have left and and kind of your introduction to Genesis um, as kind of laying the foundation for Genesis. Because I mean, again, like it's just so funny how these interviews are like, I don't plan it this way, but I literally just taught today my high school students in my ethics class about how the creation, fall, redemption narrative shapes our cultural engagement and what we can learn from the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of the fall. So we, we opened up the very beginning of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, where we get creation, fall. Uh, we learn about the origin of marriage. We learn about the origin of evil and the origin of language, the origin of life, the origin of man, the origin of our universe, all these super important topics. Um, so I guess kind of jumping into Genesis really being the foundation of history, I'm curious kind of as you wrote this commentary, as you wrote this commentary devotional, uh, kind of work through the, the way Genesis applies to today. What would you say kind of maybe first from the creation narrative that really we can draw out of and that could guide the practical way in which we live today? Absolutely. So in the big picture, it's been said like this, and you may have heard it said in different forms, but what you believe determines what you think. What you think determines what you do. What you do determines your habits. Your habits determine your lifestyle, and your lifestyle determines your legacy. But everything goes back to what do you believe? And so if you believe in the authenticity and the authority of not only the book of Genesis, but scripture as a whole, well, then that is going to move into how you think and what you do and your habits and lifestyle and legacy and all of those things. And so before you even approach Genesis chapter one, verse one, uh, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And of course, the Bible is not a science textbook explaining how God went about creating the universe. It is simply a declaration. And you're left as the reader to make a decision. Do I believe or do I not believe? 
And if you choose not to believe, you know, falling into the trap of Satan, did God really say, then that's going to radically shape the way that you think and the way that you live. But if you honestly believe Genesis 1-1, which if you believe in the first verse of the Bible, many have said that you should have no problem believing the rest of the Bible, because if God, then yes, miracles. If God, then yes, Jesus and resurrection and all these other things. And so Genesis is foundational, not just in your study of Scripture, but in who you are as a human being. Yeah. So there, I, you just said it right there, is foundational in who you are as a human. And so we learn uh, the image of God in us. And how the image of God then applies to um, the sanctity of life, how the image of God applies to the race issues that we are dealing with today, that we are created in God's image, inherently valuable. Um, God created us to work. He gave Adam work in the garden. We see in Genesis 1 and 2, God saying, you have dominion over creation. Our creation care comes into play there. And there's so much here that is applicable to what we have today and, and deeply understanding the first two chapters of Genesis, as you said here. Um, I think it's so important to point out again, kind of what you're saying is uh, even, uh, I, I like the way that uh, Sean McDowell and Jay Warner Wallace put it in their book. Um, uh, for the, so the next generation will know, I think that was the book, um, but they, what they call the worldview triangle. And how at the top of the triangle are your behaviors. And we're trying to uh, affect our behaviors and maybe the behaviors of our children and all this kind of stuff. But we realize that behaviors are determined by what we value. And we talked about this at the beginning. Uh, that if you value school, you're going to do your homework. If you value fun, you're going to play more video games or whatever. Your behaviors are determined by what you see as valuable. But your values are informed by your worldview. Mm -hmm. Where if you don't believe there's an afterlife then how is that going to shape your behavior now in this life, your decisions that you make? If you don't believe that there's a God who is sovereign over all, who created uh, us, then how does that shape who you, where do you go, th go to for authority, whether you are the authority, right? That's the, the sin that we understand there in Genesis 3 of like the fall of like, do you want to be like God? And oftentimes we are the God of our own universe rather than that. And, and even more kind of, again, foundationally of the purpose that God put into creation, the purpose of creating humans as a creator. He designs us for a purpose. So I'm curious, maybe a little bit off topic, but again, kind of pointing out some things that we learned from Genesis as we dig deeper to this application. What can we learn about the purpose of Christians? What is the purpose of life, knowing God is creator? So we're all seeing problems nowadays, not only with regard to health issues of COVID and cancer and other uh, diseases and that kind of thing, but also natural disasters and marital issues and the breakdown of culture as a whole. There's problems all around us. And where is the source of all these problems? Well, it goes back to Genesis chapter three. And historically, even before what was going on in the physical realm is what happened in the spiritual realm, which was the fall of Satan, which then led to the fall of mankind. And so how is this uh, all relevant to us? You may be thinking, well, this is a really old book. It should, probably has nothing to say to me. And again, going back to what we said much, much earlier, that the manufacturer knows how we are best operated. God knows the answers to our issues. And the Bible, you could say, is that manufacturer's manual for our lives. And so we need to come back to, it's kind of a back to basics. You know, we see that... Uh, and I know I'm going to kind of trail off for just a moment here. You're good. But um, there's just so many options of solutions out there. You know, Christians are getting caught up in the whole political um, 
you know, as being the answer, you know, who's in the White House, what party's doing what, different platforms and, and their stances. And it seems like a lot of Christians are having an identity crisis, at least in the West, uh, in the sense of we're placing more weight in our citizenship on earth or maybe as being an American rather than our citizenship in heaven. And even that understanding greatly shapes the way that you think and act, because if you place more weight on being a citizen of the world and of America, you know, just for our specific context, we're going into an election season right now, crazy time for uh, our country. There's a lot of people who are placing a lot of weight in simply legislation or politics, thinking that these things are the answer. And they are like putting Band-Aids on cancer. There's a much deeper issue here, and it's the issue of sin. And of course, if we place our identity in the kingdom of God and being, uh, you know, in his image and all that stuff, then we will naturally, uh, or I should say logically, we would lean that the gospel is the answer, scripture is the authority, we are of a kingdom not of this world. And so uh, just going back to Genesis and scripture is going to greatly affect the way that you think and live. And uh, I'd be asking myself the question, am I honest with myself? Does the Bible really shape the way that I think and live? Or am I just playing church? Am I just playing the part and trying to look good for other people? Things to ask ourselves. Yeah, those are such good questions to really think, to, to be thoughtful about. Um, and I'm kind of looking through in, in your, uh, in the book here on um, your section on the fall. Um, because there's so much that, again, we learn from Genesis chapter 3 on the fall. And it's not about Adam and Eve eating the fruit, uh, but it's really what they were communicating of God. You know, we don't think your plan is as good as you think it is. You know, kind of we want what we want. We want it now sort of idea. And really how that relates to every kind of act of disobedience that we ever have. When we disobey parents, when we disobey our boss, when we do things other way, it's like, hey, I don't think that your plan is as good as you think it is. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I have a better plan. And, you know, for, for Christians to stop for a second and go, do you really think that's true? That you have a better plan than God? <laughs> like the, the all-knowing creator of the universe and somehow he hasn't figured it out and you know better. But that's what we see in our culture where like, God, I don't think your plan of sex inside of marriage is best. I think it would be better if I have sex before marriage with my girlfriend. God, I don't think your plan for marriage between being between one man and one woman is best. I have a better plan. God, I don't think your plan for for me having to give of my finances to help those in need is a good, very good plan. I have a better plan. Use my money for myself. God, I don't think your plan of me needing to a fellowship with believers and spend half my weekend or a quarter of my weekend, half of Sunday being in church, that's boring. I have a better plan. I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to do my thing. Like so much of what we do is saying, I have a better idea. And maybe we wouldn't flat out admit that. Mm-hmm. But that is, in effect, what we're saying when we go, you know, it's not as important for me to wake up for church. It's not important for me to do this as, you know, as, like, we can get to, maybe maybe I'm being too dramatic here, but we can get to work often on time very well. We have a hard time getting to church on time. We have a hard time do, doing these other things on time. Why can't we? And it goes back to what we see as valuable. So I don't know. I think really just, kind of, again, looking at the importance of, as we kind of walk through Genesis and seeing the foundation of what we learn and how much it applies and shapes the way we think and the way that we act uh, in everyday life and how we treat people. Mm-hmm. Do you believe God's plan is best? And then the question is, if you answer yes, what is his plan? <laughs> you got to read scripture to do that. You got to be in his word to do that and understand his plan. 
which is one of the purposes of the series, the In His Presence series, is to give the reader a very specific laid out uh, ways to practically apply what they're reading in the Word. Because sometimes they do read a passage and they think, wow, this is interesting, or wow, this is impactful, um, but then walking away, not quite sure how to put you know, their hands to the plow and rubber meets the road. Okay, what is this? Act? So that's kind of the purpose of the book is to give action points at the end of each day, which uh, is also why it's important to not just do the resource uh, on your own, but to do this maybe with a partner in small groups, uh, maybe do something with your church, because I have personally seen that those people who've uh, done this with partners or in small groups have really yielded the most fruit. They actually challenged each other to uh, follow through with the action points and, of course, taking steps of faith. And it gets uncomfortable, but you grow from it. Yeah. And that's kind of how I want to finish up our time is, is two kind of more, again, kind of leading back to the practical questions is one thing I love is as I'm looking at it here is is it is the commentary kind of aspect to the devotional is as, as in Genesis, you know, in the I think day two and talking about Genesis one, you pull out, OK, the word God. What is it in Hebrew? How does it apply here? What is, and you start to look at the vocabulary, how words are used, looking at literary context, as well as the historical context, and then drawing the application from that. I uh, just wanted to mention that to those who are watching and listening. Um, but talking about the groups, so you have groups that have gone through this, uh, gone through kind of your, your studies. Um, and I'd love for you to tell you just kind of did of the importance of doing life with people. We're not meant to be alone. We need the encouragement, people to, to be able to speak into our life to say, hey, you're get, going down this road, not a good road, or hey, maybe helping this, or even just, hey, this is a good place. Keep going, because celebrate the goodness there. How have you kind of seen, I guess, the, the benefit of those who have gone through and done devotionals together, uh, even just as they've gone through your studies? Yeah, and even before getting to you know, people's response to the book, which has been really, really sweet. Um, the next book that I'm working on right now is titled Introduction to Pastoral Ministry, and I've been interviewing 10 different uh, lead pastors. And I, I bring this up to answer your question, because one of the consistent uh, responses in one of the questions, one of the questions was about, you know, how can the church be effective moving forward? And uh, the consistent thing has been the church needs to get smaller. And one of the results of COVID is that it has rocked the way churches do anything, first and foremost. But for a lot of people, it was about how big can we get this event? How can we get this production, you know, like stadium style? How can we cram the most amount of people in a room? You know, it's all about the numbers and the bottom line. But was that really healthy for ministry? Because when COVID hit and everyone was on lockdown, there was it was really difficult to not only maintain those relationships and connections, but to uh, to get new ones going. It was almost hard for churches to be in a natural rhythm of trying to connect with new people and trying to nurture the relationships that they already have in a real personal way. And so uh, the way moving forward that I've had a lot of conversations with people about is the church needs to get smaller in the sense of really emphasizing what we've called small groups or home groups, but even deeper than that, emphasizing personal relationships. I mean, Christians just learning to love to live life with each other, to laugh together, meals together, go on walks together, because looking at the Jesus model and, uh, these guys lived life with each other. They saw their ups, their downs, their great moments, their failures, 
And I know that, uh, you know, with our family, we've had a number of people live with us. We've fostered a number of people in the past and they're able to see my wife and I's interaction. Our great moments when things are awesome and some other maybe more tension moments, you know, don't quite agree on a particular thing and everything in between. But all that to be said, we need to learn to love, to spend time with each other in real ways, mm-hmm. not just in programmatic uh, discipleship ways, because Yes, discipleship is living life with each other, but don't do discipleship just in a mechanical type of way without really caring and loving the person and wanting to know their name and get to know their family and build a relationship with them and a friendship. And so that's just kind of big picture and that it's important to not just have small groups just for the sake of doing it. I mean, we really need to love each other. I think that's why Jesus constantly emphasize love. I think that's why God inspired Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, that without love, I'm just a, a loud gong and a clanging symbol that we really need to, you know, learn to have each other's backs in real ways. Okay. Yeah. That's a big picture. So, so in the small groups, I've seen that people have, uh, and so we've had a number of small groups in my particular area, and I can only speak from experience. And so I'll stop by and, you know, they'll typically want me to share in the first couple of days that they're doing it. But the way that I've seen them do it is um, get a group of people together. They'll all get their copy and they're not going to meet every single day. Although I know some people who've done it in partners or maybe groups of three where they will meet, you know, every morning over coffee for those 30 days. But uh, typically what I'll see people do is they'll go week by week and they'll just uh, talk about what they went through in that day's reading and what their experience through the action points and you know, oh, this praise report, or man, it was really awkward doing this, um, or just kind of sharpen each other in that way. And so I've seen not just with regard to this resource, but just life in general, there really is strength in numbers. You know, it's not about Rambo style, Lone Ranger Christianity, (laughs) going out and taking on the world by yourself. God knows that we're going to get picked off in a moment by the enemy if we try to do that. We need to stick together we need to follow what he says in Hebrews about not forsaking the gathering of the brethren, which I know right now is kind of hard for a lot of people, but there's a lot of different ways to connect, which is what we're doing yeah. right now. Technology. I mean, can you imagine if this happened like the Spanish flu a hundred years ago and no zoom, no YouTube, no nothing, man, that's a hard time to do ministry right there. And so all that to be said, uh, when you get your copy of the, in his presence book, I want to really encourage you to, Get, get another copy for someone else. Really do this with a partner. Do it in a small group, maybe over Zoom. Uh, but challenge yourself. God's word's challenging to me. Every time I open up the Bible, I see that God is the great I am, and I am the great I am not. And uh, <laughs> I realize that there's a lot of things in my life that need to be sharpened and changed. Just ask my wife. You know, she probably knows more than I do because I have blind spots. <laughs> said. You know, there's strength in numbers, and when we do things together for the Lord, there's just so much more fruit, there's so much more joy, there's so much more great memories than when we try to do it alone. That is so wonderful. Such good encouragement. Um, All right, so I want to finish with one more practical question. I know we could spend an entire show on this, uh, but you have, you have, uh, you talked about your young child, James, um, and your family. How do you go about doing devotions with uh, your child? Is it one child? I forget. One child or children? <laughs> so um, j- not too long ago, we were uh, had legal guardianship over a 17-year-old whose also name was James as well. Okay. <laughs> um, and he just recently was um, 
he's not living with us anymore. And okay. that's been like a real emotional thing for our family. Yeah. But uh, we have two biological boys. Okay. Uh, James is going to be three on November 11th. And uh, just passing our my wife and I's six-year anniversary on November 1st. And then uh, our second born is Benjamin, and he is five months. And you can already tell the personality differences with the two. You know, if any parents out there and you've got multiple kids, I'm sure you think the same thing. And so uh, devotions right now doesn't look too in-depth. He is only two, <laughs> so i got to cut him some slack. Um, not your five-month-old. He oh, hasn't learned all these things yet. <laughs> you know, he's just not... He hasn't caught the Greek quite yet. It's just not Got making it. sense. Yeah. He also drools everywhere. So yeah. there's that. But I, I asked because, so the question came in um, on, on Messenger last week to me personally of like resources and thoughts uh, from someone who has a two-year-old and like okay. what they can do to kind of start the process of, of, of teaching kind of God's word. And so I'm just kind of curious on how you would kind of do devotions or teach and, and lead with your children. Love the question. And so big picture, once again, before going into the weeds, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four through nine is known as the Shema. And it was the first uh, passage that Jewish boys and girls memorized when they were little. And it was something they kept near and dear to their hearts, literally, and also on the foreheads and their wrists. And so the reason I bring up this passage as a big picture for those of you who are parents and you're thinking, how do I disciple my two-year-old and my kids, you know, in general, it talks about how you will speak of these things when you're rising up, when you're right, when you're laying down at the dinner table, when you're walking along the way. And so the whole point that's being made is that discipleship is 24-7 with your kids. It is not just, hey, we're going to sit down and read scripture for these 20, 30 minutes, or we're going to go through this book, or sit down, son, I'm going to teach you a lesson kind of thing. It is a watching your life. It's watching how you treat your, your spouse, how you interact with other strangers, and the way that you just carry yourself with character and integrity, especially at the young ages and, uh, and and the older ages as well. More is caught than taught. You can try to give a lecture to someone, but oftentimes they're going to learn more by just watching your life. And I'm sure that all of us can think of people that we've learned simply by watching their lifestyle. But in a more deeper sense, okay, now we're getting to the more practical stuff. Because uh, Deuteronomy 6 is big picture. You know, 24-7, we're in discipleship mode, especially with our kids. But um, my wife and I have always tried to encourage literacy. And so she's actually with a company that, uh, you know, is all about very engaging books for young kids. And um, and so we're always trying to keep books around that are age appropriate. We're always trying to just lay on the ground with them and just playfully go through this stuff. You want to make it fun. You want to make learning a fun experience. And of course, if you are walking with the Lord, then it will naturally come out in your conversations with your children, the way that you carry yourself, even putting on, uh, you know, maybe decor in their room or throughout the house that is pointing to the Lord. Um, there's just a lot of practical things that can be done. But I would encourage you to think big picture. Is my lifestyle parallel with 24-7 discipleship? Think about what you listen to. What do you watch? How do you talk to your spouse? You know, are you, how's your conduct at work? Just how do you dress? I mean, everything in between. Is my life parallel to 24-7 discipleship? Because I guarantee you, your child will be discipled either by the world or by you. And it's up to you. Wow. What a good challenge, encouragement, uh, kind of thought-provoking uh, comment there uh, that, to, to end with. Uh, Sean, 
I know I've been encouraged and just motivated again to kind of rethink my passion for God's word, to rethink my uh, commitment to reading it, to studying it, and to figure out, uh, to desire, have a greater desire uh, to deepen that time. And so, Sean, I just thank you for just that encouragement you've been to me, and I know to those who are watching and listening as well. I appreciate it. Um, I got your I got your information, your your Facebook, your Instagram below the link to your Amazon page where people can pick up uh, your books uh, for cheap. It's just a few dollars each. Um, kind of any final other comment of, of kind of where people can kind of connect with you and maybe be part of one of these groups that goes through um, your work. Definitely. So really easy to reach me on social media, Facebook, Instagram. If you want to check out the book resources, that's on Amazon. And Ryan's got the information down below. But um, just one last word of encouragement out of Ephesians from Paul about redeeming the time because the days are evil. Man, the days are evil. I think that we can all agree on that. And so if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, God is calling you to step forward, to step out, to be a part of what he's doing globally. And you have a very beautiful plan and a specific set of gifts that only you have. And so if you don't play your role, then a lot of people are missing out on the blessing of your life. Mm. So go out there, take some risks, go conquer in the name of Jesus. And when we all do it together, that's a powerful thing. Absolutely. It's so beautiful when we work together, each of our unique abilities and talents, uh, and then we see the unique creativity that flows from that, and it can be a blessing to people. So, Sean, thank you so much. I love this conversation. I appreciate it. It's been such an encouragement and blessing. Appreciate it, man. God bless, my friend. All right. For all of you watching and listening, I hope that it was an encouragement, a blessing to you as well to excite you to to read and understand God's word and spend time in his presence. I, I want to just throw out really quickly as I post the social media handles. Um, I threw out a, a little um, a questionnaire of uh, I needed to pick some books for future interviews and future topics and I had it narrowed down to seven. I had to make it a top three. So if you follow on social media, you would have seen uh, these seven and thrown out your top three votes, maybe an encouragement to you if you're not following that you can go follow to kind of influence the topics that are coming up, but just want to throw out the winning votes, the books that have been ordered that are on their way. And hopefully you will see an interview in the next few months is why science and faith need each other, uh, emerging gender identities and the Bible and borders talking about immigration. So those are the topics that were chosen by you, the viewer, the listener. Thank you for those who participated in that. And uh, hopefully those are some exciting topics that'll be coming up in the near future. Others are coming up as well. So with that, I'm going to be signing off. If you have enjoyed the show, please subscribe, like, share it with family and friends to hopefully encourage them to go deeper in their relationship with God and their devotional life. There are other videos that you can watch as well that hopefully will be an encouragement to you to think deeper and make sure you come back next week as we do this again. Have a blessed rest of your day. See you guys later. Don't hesitate to follow your love will guide me.